Ladies and gents, welcome to Next Level Radio. I am your host, Colby Wartman, and our mission is to tackle the biggest questions in strength and conditioning, business, investing, and everything in between. We bring to you the best people in every sector so that you, the listener, can benefit and learn from the best in the biz. Whether that is S&C or business, you can rest assured you're getting the best knowledge available. All right, it's time we all grow up a little bit. Ditch the pre-workout. It's not 2007 anymore, and it's nothing like Jack 3D. Ditch the shaker. You're not four years old, and you don't need a bottle anymore. And get yourself the best dippable pre-workout on the market. Each pouch is patriotically packed with 300 milligrams of caffeine and vitamins because shaker bottles suck. Send It Sups is the on-the-go solution for athletes, LEOs, firefighters, door kickers, and everybody in between. Head over to SendItSups.com to get the best dippable pre-workout on the market, and we thank Send It Sups for being a sponsor of Next Level Radio. Next Level Radio continues to grow because of our listeners and our sponsors. Today, we present you Fat Fish Brewing, the official beer of Next Level Radio. Whether you're looking for a night out with family or smashing the best craft beers in the area, you will find it all at Fat Fish Brewing. Check out Fat Fish on Village Street in Dickinson or check them out on their website at fatfishbrewing.com. Life has an amazing way of coming full circle and bringing to you the people that you need in your life at that time. As a young whippersnapper, four monsters deep, just excited to tackle the day, I'm headed to my first strength and conditioning conference, and I hear about a company called Team Builder. Multiple coaches with experience with Team Builder and other platforms said the exact same thing. They said that you can get very similar products across different platforms, However, the thing that truly sets aside Team Builder and puts their product above anybody else's is their true and genuine customer service. As a customer for many years, both at the university setting and the private facility, I can tell you, Team Builder's customer service is absolutely second to none. Late night emails, programming issues, emergencies on my end are all resolved very, very quickly. So join the thousands of universities and private facilities that use Team Builder to elevate their businesses by going to teambuilder.com, click start my free trial, and use code NLT at checkout. Our next sponsor, Nutridyne, a medical supplement company aimed at enhancing performance and addressing the underlying issues of disease. You will be hard-pressed to find the quality that you'll find at Nutridyne. Listeners of this podcast get 20% off all supplements. Just go to at coach underscore Wartman and click the Nutridyne link in our bio. Keep up with us on Instagram at coach underscore Wartman on our website, nl-training.com or keep up with us on the next episode of Next Level Radio. Now sit back relax, and take in the mind-melting knowledge of this episode. 
Ladies and gents, welcome to Next Level Radio. We have a special damn podcast today. We've been rolling out these podcasts, and uh, we've got a great library of them, but this is one that I've been super excited. It's something that we, uh, we, we've been able to bring it all together, and everything is going very, very well. Um, and so we've been going down the Airbnb pathway. We've been doing um, strength talk. We've been doing business talk. And today we're going to be all over the board because you are a man of many, many different experiences. And so uh, I want to introduce you today, John. He is the owner of Send It Sup. So I'm just going to have you introduce yourself, my man, and we'll uh, we'll wrap from there. I appreciate it, brother. Yeah. Uh, thank you for having us out here. I've been definitely excited about this for a long, long time. It's a, it's, it's, it's a cool place, man. It's a, it's a you cool know, place. funny you say that. I've actually, uh, I have a little bit of experience living in North Dakota. Mm-hmm. I was actually stationed up here not too long ago. And I was just telling you that like being back here and seeing the people that are in this state, um, I think North Dakota gets a very, very bad rap for whatever reason. And it normally comes from people who aren't here. Yeah. Um, I, I spent three years when I was up here and coming back here and, and just surrounding myself with this breed of people again, it just, it brings back a lot of good memories. Yeah, man. It's the people is what make this place so special. You go to Montana and you go to Wyoming, Colorado, yep. it's the mountains. The, the, you know, the, there's these different people that move in and you have different cliques and different groups of people. But here in North Dakota, you have North Dakota people. And it's North Dakota nice. And um, it's been something that made Dickinson specifically, but North Dakota as a whole, home fast. Yeah. It became home fast. And so um, it's it's really cool to get you back to a place that you've been. How long were you stationed up there? Well, before we get into that, uh, I do have a cheesy disclaimer. I have to uh-huh. roll through it just for my job a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm going to roll through this, and then we can kind of get into the nitty-gritty uh-huh. details of everything. So uh, for those that are listening... <clears throat> The opinions stated in the following podcast are completely my own and in no way, shape, or form represent the United States Air Force, the Department of Defense, any current or former employer of mine, or the United States government. They are simply my experiences living and working in austere forward deployed environments in support of a global war on terror and my very human and very flawed interpretations of those events. I want to thank you for your time and for your viewership. The Senate Supplements team, along with Next Level Training, truly value every second of your attention that you are graciously giving to us. I look forward to telling the story of how Rip It Energy drinks, Copenhagen, a love of caffeine, a hatred of shaker cups, and everyday life in an undisclosed firebase led to the creation of the world's first dippable pre-workout supplement. My name is John. I'm the president and founder of Send It Supplements, and our mission is to caffeinate as many hardworking Americans as possible without the use of these things. Thank you for your time, and uh, I'm looking forward to this conversation. Yeah, man. Yeah. Hey, that's a, that's a new one for me. I mean, I've had all the SF guys, all the military guys that I've had have been out of the okay. military. So it's, uh, and I know you're not uh, in the traditional military still, mm-hmm. but um, you have roots. And so yep. uh, it's it, that, that that's a new one for me. That's I like it. I like it. Well, uh, and I just want to totally clarify. Uh, I got out of the Air Force uh, in 2019, so I've been out for a minute now. Um, I currently work in the defense world, though, and uh, without going into the nitty nitty gritty details about what that involves, um, I can't go into specifics about what programs I worked on or the technical details about those programs. But what I do want to tell the story of is. Uh, it's interwoven into the, the founding of this company 
and it, it plays along in our story. So that disclaimer, uh, I, I had to read it because pretty much anything that we put out has to get cleared uh, from the government perspective just to make sure uh, that no classified information is, is being leaked. Mm -hmm. But uh, as far as uh, my personal experiences and my views kind of living through some of these world events that we've, we've all kind of participated in, um, send it played a big part in that, it, at least from a personal reason. Yeah. The, the company was kind of born out of just living and working and uh, you know what you were saying what feels normal to me but maybe to some others isn't a normal life 100 i'll have you pull that mic across oh, and a little bit closer to you so yeah and right, then right in the face you'll hear yourself cut out okay um man i think you uh, you hit it on the head and i i just see it from outside perspective because you your experiences have been your normal you know, and I grew up in a very hard childhood and that was normal for me until right. I met my wife and she's like, dude, you've been going through some stuff that not a lot of people should go through, you no. know? So I think you have, I, I was telling you about some of the highlighted podcasts that I've done, some crazy drug smuggling, some, um, uh, purple heart guys and mm -hmm. all that. And you're like, man, that's a crazy story. But I think your story is just as dynamic and it's different in its own right, you know? So talking you up enough, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a different in its own right. So I think you have a, a lot of uh, things to do. And I told you my goal every single time I walk in here is one, to extract as much as I can out of you, but mm -hmm. two, be the stupidest person on the given topic. Well, that makes two of us. Day. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Um, so how long were you uh, in the Air Force and how long were you up in uh, the native woods of North Dakota? Well, I'll kind of start there. I think it's a really good starting point. And I think I'm going to crack open my beer. Fat well. Fish, that one's their, like I was saying, that's okay. their flagship. Um, not like an over-flavored oh, really sugary good. beer. Yep. It just has some kick to it. It has really a good, like that. yeah, man. Um, you'll get to meet Tony. Good dude. Okay. And uh, So yeah, he's a, he was a ranger. Um, did big things, and uh, then he started this brewery and mm -hmm. has really gravitated towards military personnel and has just done really well, really, really well. That's so awesome to hear. He's a good dude. Um, so, yeah, you, you get to come back to North Dakota. How was, uh, how was your time in North Dakota prior? Well, I'll kind of start at the beginning. Um, I always knew as a kid that I wanted to join the military, um, and a big part of that kind of came from the background of my family. I was kind of telling you, uh, my mom is a, is a first-generation American, and just the, the story of how my grandparents got to America is nuts to me. You know, I, I get to eat Thanksgiving dinner with people who were uh, war refugees in a previous life. Yeah. So uh, the idea that uh, this is a special place and that America is a place that's has given so much opportunity to so many people. Uh, I literally got to see that every time I ate Thanksgiving dinner. Yeah. So growing up, I just, I knew I wanted to give back and I knew that like, I almost had an obligation to do it in a lot of ways. Um, but along with that, <clears throat> uh, when it came time to join the military, I wanted to talk to as many people that had been in the military previously. And I noticed a couple of things. Um, all of them were kind of telling me to join the air force. <laughs> And I, if you're I, smart, you do it. Uh, I, I, I heard that literally over and over again, even from guys that were... Um, if it keeps moving, you can pull this mic down, oh, maybe that's like it. the mic portion. So pull it like down the other way. Yeah, there you go. That Just should be better. better. Okay. That should be better. I kept hearing the story from, from vets a lot. And um, my mentality going into it was I wanted to get as much out of them as they were going to get out of me. So... Uh, when it came time to picking a branch, I noticed a couple of things. And, and I heard this story that one of the best recruiting tools that the Air Force has, they don't even use as a recruiting tool. And what I mean by that is, especially if you come into uh, jobs that have a cyber background, just by nature of you working in that world, if you do it the right way, 
you can set your life up very, very well and have a very easy transition post-military career into the civilian world. That was something that was very interesting to me. I wanted to have my life get better post-military service than after. And unfortunately, like it, it's, it's a trope in a lot of ways where guys almost take steps back leaving the military, depending on job and circumstance. And there's a lot of factors that play into that way, way more than whatever branch that you join. But I wanted to have every advantage that I could leaving the service. So the Air Force was very, very attractive for that reason. And um, along with that, I had a knack for computers. You know, I had always enjoyed tech stuff my entire life. Um, <clears throat> so I, I took the ASVAB and did all right. Like I, I'm, I'm not going to, Yep. I'm, I'm not going to say I, I w- I'm still not a great test taker, but I did all right. And I qualified for a job that's called a, a cyber transporter. A cyber transporter is a very air forcey way of saying network tech. Uh, we were trained on routers and switches and how to configure those devices. And uh, just as a nerd PSA, when I, when I say routers and switches, what, uh, the, the picture that comes to a lot of people's minds is the, the modem that sits mm-hmm. in, in the corner of your house. Uh, what we were trained on is called enterprise grade networking. So what that is, is how to make computers talk and uh, facilitate communication to one another on an enterprise level, meaning uh, computers that like, you're talking about 50 to 100 computers at a time. So these devices, the routers, the switches, the wireless access points, those are all individualized devices that need to be configured a certain way versus the modem that's sitting in your corner of, of your house is kind of those three devices rolled into one. We were trained how to do that uh, from a enterprise, in our case, base level. So we would make all the computers on an Air Force base talk and share information with one another. Uh, That was a very interesting idea to me. So I I, I signed that job and I actually went to tech school, which is how the the school that you go to in the Air Force to learn how to do your specific job or your AFSC in our case. Gotcha. I was at uh, Keesler Air Force Base in Biloxi, Mississippi. I spent nine months down there. I really liked that. Um, It it was definitely a the analogy is like drinking through a fire hose is the yeah. term that they use a lot just because it was so much information really, really quick. Um, and then <laughs> I made a decision that kind of changed my life without even thinking about it. And what I mean by that is while you're in tech school, because you are very much government property, mm-hmm. <laughs> in the eyes of the Air Force, you're a social security number, uh, what's called a skill code. So that at the time I was a three level, which means you basically have basic training, you have graduated tech school, and you have some sort of certifications or requirements that also come along with that job. On paper, everyone is the same. So when orders come out, <clears throat> if, I, if you're my buddy and you have orders to mine not, and I have orders to Nellis Air Force Base, we can swap. Really? Beca- because we're the same on paper. We have the same skill level, we're graduating at the same time, and uh, in, no the, shit. in the eyes of the Air Force, we're interchangeable parts. Is that... I've never heard of that in other branches that I can't speak to. Yeah. This was the one thing that I heard about in tech school. So I found a dude who was from Texas and I had orders to Nellis air force base and wanted no part in that. And he had orders to grand forks, North Dakota, and he wanted no part in that. So we both took our orders and marched down to the uh, personnel center and swapped with one another. And it was one of those decisions. I literally made it because it was closer to home. I liked the cold a little more. And I just liked the idea of North Dakota compared uh, to Nellis. Yeah. Um, and along the way, what ended up happening is I, I met some of the most incredible people that I still talk to. And my life took a direction that I don't think I would have took if I went to Nellis Air Force Base. Yeah. You know, I, how I look at this, what age were you when you joined the Air Force? So I was 18. I went right okay. out of high school and that's, I was 19 at this time. That's what I was 
talking about. So when I, I talked to all my athletes and I didn't have a sense of maturity, I, I got wrapped into pain meds very early into high school. Um, and I think in spite of what I was doing, I made it to play high level college football. I was just talented and I worked my fucking ass off. Yep. But what I'm saying is at 18, I had zero foresight, like what you were talking about. So like, it's really cool to see the dynamic of people because I would have never thought about, Hey, I want to go to a place where I can have a career after the military. I would have been wrapped up in, I want to be a grunt and I have a job to do. And you know, we all know what that is, but it's really cool to see that you had the foresight to, Hey, I need to have this apply. And maybe that was because you were standing on the shoulders of giants too. You were talking to these people like, Hey, you want to have a good life afterwards. This is where you need to go. You know? Well, quite honestly, when I was 17, I was just as dumb, Mm -hmm. but I, I tried to be smart enough to realize when everyone else in my life was saying the same thing that they can't all be wrong. Exactly. Exactly. And like, I really learned that lesson through my military career, but I remember hearing the same things when I was 17, just talking about it. And as much shit as the air force can, people get thrown mm-hmm. at the air force. Rightfully so. Exa- yeah. You know, it's, 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 everybody does it, but then everybody also says, if you want the best treatment, if you want the best civilian life, that's where you go. So it gets all the flack, but it also has the most, uh, uh, applications outside. What I would also say too is, anybody who was in the military and has a kid that's talking about joining the military or our son that's thinking about going in, mm-hmm. they all recommend the air force and everybody. I, and I would recommend the exact same thing. Yeah. So if you had kids, that's, that's where you would, yep. uh, yeah. In a lot of ways. And, and like one of my famous, or one of my most favorite quotes is from the great Jocko Willink. Uh, he said, um, you can want your kids to be a certain way, but they're going, oh, discipline equals freedom. freedom yep. right there. <laughs> you can want your kids to be a certain way, but they're going to be how they are. Yeah. So you, I would never force the military on, on my children, but if they would want to go in it, as a parent, I would try to really steer them in the direction of the Air Force yeah. because of the easy transition and, and also the experiences that I had while I was in. Yeah. Well, you get to travel a lot. Uh, my buddy was in the Marine Corps, a good okay. friend of mine. Um, he, uh, uh, the technical term, I, I could be messing this up, so you crayon eaters out there, don't hmm. get mad at me. Um Loadmaster chief. Okay. So he was loading planes. He was not an enlisted officer, but he got to fly with all the officers. So he was loading the plane, um, how it should and flying around the world. He loved it. Air crew is a great job. Oh, hundred percent. You can travel all over the place. You know, and did you ever envision yourself like what you would have done? You, you said you played high school sports. Mm -hmm. You're obviously a big strapping dude. Did you see yourself anywhere else? What did you, what was the path if it wasn't the military? Honestly, I always knew I was going to serve in some capacity. Mm-hmm. I, I had thought about uh, commissioning. I, I thought about doing uh, the officer route for a minute. Uh, that's something I learned along the way, too, for anybody that's listening and considering the military. Um, if you don't know if you're going to make it a 20-year career, I would highly, highly encourage enlisting first, um, just because the commitment is a lot shorter. Um, for those that go the ROTC or even to, like, a service academy. Is it, like, a six-year contract if so, you're an officer? Uh, when I was looking into it, I haven't looked at, at the numbers anytime soon. I think it's almost eight. So the guys will do four years active duty once they actually branch, which is where they actually get their, their job. And then I think they owe back an an additional four years reserves as well. So like I would still be in the military and like just doing my four and pulling chalks is the air force expression or getting out of the military. 
it just allowed my life a lot of flexibility. Yeah. And like, if I wanted to, I could have reenlisted and gone the, the commission route, but I just, something I've always learned is having options is always better because it allows you to make the best decision in the moment. Yep. Every time and not, not be emotional about it. Yep. Um, you and I rapped about it a little bit, but for me, it was, uh, it was college football or the Marine Corps. Okay. Um, I didn't mention exactly where I wanted to go, but, um, it was college football, the Marine Corps. And obviously we know what took the, took the, uh, opportunity there, but there, there's such, there's such similarities in, in the whole aspect. And, um, I'll kind of draw some of those, you know, you, you have had this, this great career where you are able to plug and play that into your civilian career. And for many people that don't know, we'll get into it, but you're, you're now on the defense contracting side with send supplements on the other side too. But, um, with the college football, this town, and I've told you kind of about this, but this town is different. This, this North Dakota is different, but this town is very different. And I would be nowhere near where I'm at without the connections I have at the college, without the people that I played college football with. Absolutely. And it's the, those people and those opportunities. I'm telling you, I should not, and it's not like I'm a multimillionaire or anything, but I, I'm doing what I love and, trying to be successful at it. And it's because of all these other people, man. And it's this cool application as I get to play college football. Yes, that's cool. Yes. I was all conference. Yes. We had success, but the, the, the benefits, the fruit after that is unconceivable. Hmm. It's, it's very unconceivable. The people, the everybody, there's a lot of money in this town and people want everybody else's success. That's and it's awesome. been really cool because you got the same thing. Like you said, you're in this inner circle that you're every once in a while running into people that you knew yep. in a past life. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's life has a weird way of coming full circle, man. It's, I, I was just telling you, like, uh, you had reached out to us a little while ago because uh, of send it and, and how you thought it was a cool product. I really appreciate that. Mm-hmm. But it just, it was crazy. Like of all the gyms and of all the States, it was North Dakota, North Dakota that ended up reaching out to me. <laughs> yeah. and here I am again. Oh man. It's well, crazy. It, it leads me into kind of what I was saying that like, so I, I, I got an orders where I swapped rather four Grand Forks and I spent three years up here Okay, o- over at, over at the air, boy, air base, excuse me. Um, besides the cold winters <laughs> getting yeah. to you a little bit, uh, cause that took a little, a little getting used to, um, I loved the time that I was in. I, I got to travel a lot. I, I got to meet a lot of incredible people, but, um, at the end of it, if I'm being honest, uh, I felt like I wanted to do more. Like, mm-hmm. okay, uh, I, I had gone on a couple deployments when I was in the Air Force, uh, but I, I'm going to seal a phrase from someone I worked with in a previous life who was also in kind of a similar job that I was in. He said, I, I felt as though that I was working at a hot airport, mm-hmm. which is kind of the best way of describing it. Like, <clears throat> you definitely work very hard, and especially just because of my old job, I interacted with uh, maintainers a lot. Maintainers in, in the Air Force especially. Uh, in, in the army, the big separation is uh, grunts and pokes. You'll hear that a lot in person other than grunt. Yep. The Air Force equivalent of that is you have flight line people. These are flyers, pilots, and maintainers, people who actually wrench, the jets, wrench on the jets, and what are referred to as noners, non-sortie producing motherfuckers. Uh, people like me, combo or cyber guys, um, intel dudes. Uh, any type of comms, anything. Right, people who don't work immediately on the flight line. And what was interesting about this job is – I was in a unique spot where the communication assets that we were working on were considered aircraft components. And unfortunately that's all I can say about it. But um, we were in this very weird in-between world where the way I describe it is we weren't maintenance enough to be maintenance and we weren't cyber enough to be cyber. 
Uh, we were in this really weird in-between world. So I, I got into work with some of the, the actual maintainers, the wrench turners, to, to use the Air Force expression, excuse me. And when I say that, like, it felt like I was working at a hot airport, that in no, in no way means that it was not hard or difficult. Because especially, like, the, the people who put jets up in the air really are the unsung heroes of the Air Force. And seeing that every day, it, it really, really hit home. Like those guys in a very real way bleed for those jets. Mm-hmm. Like in order to do a pre-flight and to keep birds like turning and going, it just, it requires a very, very like hard charging, hardworking American to, to make that happen. And I saw that firsthand, but I still wanted more. I, I wanted to go, like I wanted a more intense deployment. I wanted to be deployed longer. And what I found about the military and one of my least favorite parts about it is you don't have a lot of control in your life. So like the deployment that I wanted to go on, unfortunately, it was not a part of my unit. It, it, even if you want to go anywhere, I was, I was telling you, you essentially have to work what's called a drug deal where like your first sergeant knows the personnel manager at another base that you want to go to and they work out some exchange. And if you're not buddies, buddies with him, you're kind of SOL. So what I love so much about getting out of the military and entering into this defense world is the control is placed much more in your life. So the only jobs that I was kind of applying to were those that were in the Middle East region. Um, I wanted more than anything to go to, to go to Afghanistan specifically. It was my mission. And I found myself uh, working for a company that provided a service to the U.S. government where the end use of the product was to take live kill feed coming down from what are called fast-moving aircraft. Uh, these are things uh, such as A-10s or F-16s or what we refer to as an AWT, AWT, an air weapons team, like Apache helicopters. My job was to take the, the live video feed coming down from these aircraft and pump them down into what are called jocks or TOCs. And I apologize in advance if I start speaking in acronyms. Those are joint operation centers or tactical operation centers. These are uh, the... the the main hubs that all four deployed uh, people sit in and watch what we would call predator porn mm-hmm. or, or live feed coming down from these aircraft. And because of this, I would work uh, almost exclusively with Ford controllers. Uh, these are controllers who actually uh, act as like a, a Ford air traffic control tower for these assets, uh, specifically JTACs or joint terminal attack controllers or combat controllers. Um, <clears throat> and what they would do is they would actually walk pilots onto target using the feed that I provided. Um, and, uh-huh. and the, the lethality of this product was, was found in the fact that we could see what the pilot was seeing. That was the biggest advantage. Real time. Real time as it was happening. The, the feed that I would create the handshake between, I was like the forward deployed tech guy, would then be exchanged to what was called uh, a PED or an imagery analyst. These are people who are trained to actually look at, at feed coming down in real time and discern, okay, these packs or personnel they are friendly elements or enemy elements. Or to use his expression, we would make assessments based off of the totality of the circumstance. Meaning, okay, I know the region that we're operating in. I know that this region has a history of, of enemy activity. I know that uh, because of these four or five other information points that it's going to all factor into my assessment. And then he will take that assessment and pass it to the, the ground commander who will ultimately be responsible for the strike request that is put up. I did that job for uh, two and a half years and loved every second of it. Yeah. Um, so you're, you're, you're a link inside the rules of engagement for pilots. You're, you're a link in that. Like you're providing that feed. You're not the one saying, hey, this is the rules of engagement. Do it. But you're, you're a part of that process. 
the way that I put it is if they didn't have that feed, the decision-making process would take so much longer. That was the real lethality that that, that program provided. So people that have uh, even been acquainted with the process that you were doing, mm-hmm. they talk about, um, and I know he wasn't part of it. Uh, he was more uh, on the ground seal, but uh, Andy Andy Stump, Correct. I got to run into him in Bozeman one time. Really? Uh, again, my cousin Lance, it's stupid. It's his, his connections are stupid. But they talk about the disconnection from reality and I, as much as you can talk about this, the disconnection from reality of you seeing these live feeds and this decentral, decentralization of, um, or desensitization rather, of seeing these kill feeds, seeing these all the time, um, these predator porn. How was that process? I mean, you're seeing, and this is my words, but you're seeing um, kills be made, kills be confirmed. You're seeing um, even just friendlies, you're seeing a bunch of different stuff. How, how did you deal with like that desensitization of looking it through a feed, but this is actual war. You're seeing it through a monitor, right? You know what I'm saying? That I'll say this because like the workup, uh, the training component that was required, how to do this, everybody was kind of talking about this. And I spent, um, let's see about three months learning the in and outs of this program before I was ever deployed ever because one of the, one of my favorite parts and one of the most stressful parts about this previous job is we were referred to as FSRs or field service representatives. Okay. So there's no infrastructure to help you in any way. It, it, it's back in the States, but like at the end of the day, you're it. So you need to really, really know the system. And especially in high stress environments, it just has to work. Otherwise the, the decision-making process that we're talking about takes so much longer. So I had been mentally prepared to see some of the things that we're talking about seeing uh, for about three months. And, and quite honestly, it, it, if I can add a little bit of humor to this, um, always when, when this job was explained to me, I must've had a hard on for like two weeks, mm-hmm. just like hearing about it yeah. <laughs> because like, okay, at the time I had, you I, get your tech itch, you right, get everything. It was literally everything that I wanted. Like I was 21 at the time. And when someone said, Hey, we get to send you to the place that you not only want to go to pay you extra money to go there. And you get to wear all the dumb gear that you've bought prior to this and do it for your job. It was like a dream come true to me. Um, but to answer your question, um, I still remember the first time you, even like, even when it wasn't just a right, like there were no uh, targets being struck. Um, just like seeing, getting connection with a real-time aircraft that's actually flying through Afghanistan, through our equipment that we'd only been doing in theory and then seeing it happen in real time, that was magical yeah. just from the tech component of it. But the first time that we actually had a strike mission, that's when it got really real. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like, okay, it, well, our mission, our little small piece of this pie was we would do uh, exclusively tick response. So tick stands for troops in contact. Um, yeah. at, at this point in the war, uh, because this was prior to the Afghan withdrawal, we were almost exclusively supporting supporting the ANA elements. These, this is the Afghanistan National Army that unfortunately is not in existence anymore because of the Taliban takeover. Um, so because this partner force that we had stood up essentially, uh, they required assistance when they would get ticked up, meaning they would take contact from enemy forces. And what we would do is take whatever asset that we were allocated, be it an A-10 or an F-16 or a helicopter, and respond to that tick. So it was my job to get handshake with this aircraft and then see what the pilot was seeing as guys were getting shot at. Gotcha. So to answer your question, like it, things hit harder when they were Americans in contact because they're Americans. Because you know, yeah, yeah. But the, the, the craziest thing that a, a real hit home moment for me was 
we saw our partner force in, in one case, unfortunately, walk over an IED. And, and when, when I say like you could really see what was happening, obviously there's, there's, a big, there's a big separation between seeing this on a monitor versus actually being there. But you saw this poor guy without a leg. You still see it. And, and you saw his buddy walk over to him and you saw like him having to put together in real time not having a leg anymore. And just like, we can kind of get into this a little later, but just seeing the after effects of how the Afghan withdrawal happened and, and seeing what those guys gave everything for and then seeing it just all fall apart in, in 72 three weeks, hours yeah i mean just bang that hurts more than anything that i saw yeah. actually in real time yeah because at some stakes you you do with a lot of people they talk about it seems like it's all for none at some point yep. you know um so were you guys considered like a like a qrf force at some at some uh, kind of so th the program that i worked or with just specifically ticks was born out of the inception of hey we still want to do these fire missions in afghanistan but we want americans to be as far away from the fight as possible gotcha it was like we want to create as much difference between uh, where the enemy is at and where we're at and still accomplish the strategic goals of the united states so the handoff that was supposed to occur that didn't occur <laughs> uh, was the ana force were to ultimately take over the complete um, the complete handling of all tick response. And like, I don't mean to steal another line from Jocko. I just think he puts it very, very well. The way that he describes it as there's a lot of um, supporting assets in, in standing up the tent that is the response in Afghanistan. But the United States is the biggest tent pole. Mm -hmm. And if you pull that tent pole out, the whole tent collapses. Because at the end of the day, and I, and I just, this is my jaded perspective. Again, completely my opinions. But when I would hear some people in leadership positions talk about some of the things that the, that the ANA forces were capable of doing, you would have to bite your tongue. Because like you're, you're talking about people who are in many cases illiterate, who in many cases are on drugs. Like we had guys uh, do like what are called uh, NDs or negligent discharges, meaning we just pop off rounds because yeah. they're so high on whatever as they're walking around you. Like in, in many cases, they were more dangerous to you than the enemy was. And like Andy Stump talks about that a lot. They had to work with them even closer and go out on ops with them. I cannot even imagine what that was like. But just there, there are standards that are apparent in the American military that are not found in the rest of the world. Yeah. And like even even down to like okay, um, I saw firsthand the amount of money that the United States military spends on our forces versus NATO, NATO partners. Where I was at, and I don't mind speaking to where I was at in Afghanistan because we're not there anymore. Mm -hmm. um, I was actually in Mazari Sharif. Um, also known as Mez, the, the Hindu Kush mountain range um, mm. was our backyard. Uh, fun fact for you, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie 12 Strong. Yeah. But that was the step-off point to where that ODA team went into the mountains. Okay. We were basically there. The, the, their step-off point where they actually went out and, and tr hopped on horses and tried to tr track down everybody, we lived at the bottom of that mountain range. Really? It was kind of cool being yeah. a, a part of history. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> There was that Netflix documentary, um, actual, uh, it was up in the Cushes, uh, um, the actual footage of, uh, of the war going on and it took over. I'll think of it as we're going, okay. but it's up in the Hindo Kush. It's a, uh, it's a really cool, it starts with a J, um, really cool documentary that actually put you in that feed and seeing oh, that's cool. what's going on. Uh, and it's, it's, and people that are actually in the military, look at it as very real instead of Hollywood. You okay. know, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's really cool. One question I had for mm -hmm. you, if you, uh, if you can answer it as much as your ability allows, 
you said that we're trying to create as much space as we can from American soldiers to the threat. Yep. We know that this time is coming and how we've evolved with technology. How far are we? Or is it going to be a near future of complete unmanned air uh, air fighting? You know what Great I'm saying? Question. What's our capabilities? Well, I would say this. Uh, if you look at the funding allocation of of the Air Force versus some of the other branches, we're much smaller, but we get an equal part of the pie. Because mm-hmm. as warfare advances, it leans in the direction of technology. Uh, but I will say this. One of the expressions is... It, especially in my previous job was it's safe until it's not Yeah. like, okay, I'll say like the whole goal of the program was to keep guys as far away from the fight as possible. Um, I, I, I'll remove his name obviously for, for privacy reasons, but I worked with a JTAC who ended up hopping on a helicopter that ended up going down. Uh, thankfully he, he, he is still walking. Everybody walked away like literally by a miracle and, and is still here to tell the tale. Right. But I knew him, and I, and he was one of my favorite people to work with, and he was involved in a helicopter crash on a relatively, quote-unquote, safe deployment. Mm-hmm. So if, if you work in this world, almost anything can happen at any time, regardless of job. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, – we talk about the Wild West and the unknown. Uh, that time early on in the Middle East was uh, unfathomable to some extent. Um, but I – I like your perspective and seeing different. Uh, you see it. You you see it differently because you had this tech background. You had this tech itch, but you also wanted to make an impact where impact was needed. And it's it's really cool because for people that are watching this on YouTube or Spotify or whatever, um, this is the first time you and I have talked about this stuff. You know, and it's uh, it's it's nice how it just flows. And again, I just like seeing the perspective that you have that it's different than most. We talk about pogues and non-pogues, you know, it's, it's a different, it's a different perspective. That's really, really cool that I have never had experience with that. Everybody that I've talked to, I'm friends with, we're rangers on the ground, um, Marine Corps scout snipers, you know, like that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, but again, you guys played just as important or more as important of a role guiding that and um allowing that to happen so it's 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 really cool man i uh so how long were you in country there well i was in afghanistan for about a year and a half year and a half and then i spent another roughly year to year and a half in syria so i know more about uh i I know you gave me the acronym i know more about the the army side stuff so Mm -hmm. technically with your equivalent of what they call it in the air force your Mm -hmm. mos um what what is an hour or excuse me a year and a half standard time oh, that you're there okay so when i was doing job? this th- this is also an important psa to put out i was a contractor during all of my uh downrange time mm. so i was actually a, i was an fsr i was okay. a civilian and that was also a very eye-opening experience like and i'll say this too like while i was there i was in no way shape or form serving mm. i was there seeking adventure and money as a defense contractor, that 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 was the uh, very attractive part to me. Um, while I was actually in the Air Force, though, uh, that's when I spent uh, three years actually at Grand Forks Air Force Base. Uh-huh. I deployed twice out of there, and then a year prior was just in training. Okay. Did you? I I wanted to ask this too, just because it's home in North Dakota. Did you spend 
all, I mean, obviously you're traveling around, but did you spend all your time in Grand Forks or did you get a little bit of a um, tour and get to see Minot as well? You know, I actually went up there once we had to do an equipment exchange Yeah, and uh, everybody said the, the expression is why not Minot? Oh yeah. I'm, I'm glad you know that. I'm glad <laughs> you know so that. Far north, but funny enough, when we drove up there, uh, the, the guy that I was riding up there with, we were shocked at how much better the base was. Yeah. Just because like it's a bigger base, it's a missile base, it has more money attached to it. Yep. Um <clears throat> but there were a lot more base resources that were not found at the tiny little Grand Forks Air Force yeah. base. Yeah. It's uh well, you you talk about uh, a missile base mm-hmm. uh, just these the big ones around and we're we're pretty surrounded. So you got the Minutemen up in Montana. Yep. Huge, huge. You you drive west over into Great Falls, Montana and you are going down an old highway. And they're probably in one stretch driving that you're going to probably see 10 to 15 Humvees. You're going to have these deserted roads that are guarded by Humvees. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's cool to see, but it's like, uh, it's, it's different, you know? Mm-hmm. So you got the Miniman there, you got Minot. And then also where I grew up very close, you have Cheyenne, which okay. is another big air force yep. base missile, uh, a missile base that, uh, so I grew up around it, but again, I really like that I'm the dumbest person on this topic and I can just absorb this. It's really cool to, it's really cool to see cause I just get the inside scoop, you know? Yep. So hopefully everybody sees that there. Um, so you, uh, you get back from deployment. Yeah. She just loves all the love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's, she's, she's the podcast doc. Um, you, you get back from deployment and was, uh, how did you, how did you digest this, uh, this um, degrading of Afghanistan. And as we started pulling out of Afghanistan, how did you handle that? What was your philosophy? Well, I'll say this. Um, I I keep in in contact with um, someone who by nature of his job had to work with the Terps a lot more. And by Terp, I I mean uh, interpreter. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's just what we would call them. Uh, That's really just a shortage of of, a shortening of the, of the verb or the word rather. Um, The, the, the guys that were working in an interpreter role were some of the most incredible individuals that have, I've ever met in my entire life. And what I mean by that is like you talk about crazy stories that like you've heard from people, talk to an interpreter. They will tell stories that will, app, that will blow your mind just because of their background. Yeah. Like, these are guys who were born in Kabul and through one way or another found their way to supporting the United States and acting as an interpreter to help facilitate the conversation between partner force, between the, a- the ANA uh, a stand-up army that the U.S. government was trying to stand up and the actual U.S. military component that are English speakers. So these guys not only have to speak, speak Farsi, but also relay cultural details and backgrounds about their own world to English speakers who know nothing about it. Yeah. And just their story is, are, is, are some of the most incredible stories that I have heard. Mm-hmm. And the, the heart-wrenching part seeing all that happen is I, I keep in contact with someone who keep by nature of his job had to keep in contact with some of these interpreters and they're not responding to WhatsApp messages anymore. And y- you can start assuming things, but like you just start putting two and two together about what happened to some of these individuals because yep. they, they supported the United States government. And the reality is they, they were probably killed and they were probably killed not, not well. Yeah. And, and that's the reality for a lot of people like to us, it's just watching the news and the images look absolutely horrific. We were just talking about them, like people falling off of airplanes and, and, and people trying to finagle their way under barbed wire just yeah. to try to get to these jets. 
throwing I, their kids over fences. Yeah, I have heard people who have been there and they say the the news reels don't do it justice, and I believe every word of it. Yeah, and just like having like personal relations with the, or just having a some sort of working relationship with these guys and just like seeing the role, seeing how much they gave to the United States and just to see it all fall apart in front of them. That was the much most gut wrenching part. Yeah, for sure. It was, uh, it was sloppy. It was, it was yeah. very sloppy how everything went down. And we talked about private facility, uh, civilians, um, Tim Kennedy, them putting together teams and doing whatever they can because God we bless needed, that dude. dude, he's crazy. And we, we needed every boot on the ground that we could. Yep. Um, but again, um, me being outside of this, uh, seeing it from a very skewed media source, it's, it's again, I know it doesn't do it justice, but I haven't even heard those stories. You know, it's, uh, it's something that will never live down um, until, I mean, every, every empire that has tried to go in there yeah. has not been successful. I heard something, and I, I don't know how true this is, but it makes a lot of sense to me. So like one of the things that I learned, especially coming from an Air Force background, uh, working exclusively with the Army, is the Army has something the Air Force doesn't have, and these are called warrant officers. Warrant officers, so like in, in every military branch, you have uh, enlisted men and then the, op, the commissioned officer community. Um, in some branches, like the Army, you have this almost in-between force uh, that act in the Army's case as like SMEs or subject matter experts. That's what warrant officers are. They don't have troops underneath them, but they're guys who know their job almost exclusively well. And the nickname that they kind of have is the mafia mm. because they're like, th no one can really tell them what to do. They're officers, but they're not. And they're enlisted guys, but they're not. And to all the warrants out there, I, I know I'm butchering that. This is just coming from an outsider looking at this perspective. Yeah. One of the things that I learned is uh, some memes that were online kind of comparing what was happening <laughs> is the shots that were coming out of Kabul looked almost exactly like the pictures that were coming out of the fall of Saigon during the Vietnam War. The, the photos were almost like mirror images of one another. I had heard that the same tail number of Chinook that airlifted the final refugees or people or, or American personnel off of the embassy in Saigon was the exact same tail number of Chinook that was used to really? pick up personnel from the embassy in Kabul. And what I think is happening, this is just my conspiracy tinfoil hat moment, is some warrant out there somewhere made a point quietly. He was saying, "We're history is literally repeating itself, and we're doing the exact same thing that ha that our fathers and our grandfathers did Damn. 40 years ago. Damn. And they did it in the most warrant officer way. I had never heard of that. I uh, All my family that had been in the military, they have the, the similar perspective, right? They knew they were going to serve. They wanted to serve. They had a burning desire to serve. And now they have kids. Yep. And specifically, my cousin Lance will say, I, this is not how it should be. I should not fight a war, have a son, and have to send him to the same one. You know, yep. and he ha he has a burning passion about that where he knows the military saved his life. He knows it set him up for success. He knows all these things, but he has a very hard dilemma to send a son to the same war he fought because he fought it for a reason so his son wouldn't have to. I believe it. It's, it's, it's crazy, but we talked about the military industrial complex that has to run, has to run. It's attached at the deepest roots of our capitalism. Mm -hmm. It's, it, it is our capitalism. You know, uh, we go through these bang and bust cycles. I'm a big investor. I invest in real estate and stocks sure. and all this stuff. And 
it's cyclical and we have to have it, you know? And so at some, at some instance, we, uh, we, we get to where we are now geopolitically and we see that this cycle could repeat. We hope it doesn't, but it definitely could repeat. Well, like that's a very interesting point. And just at, at least me seeing the military industrial complex from the inside it's given me some insight into what I believe it actually is because it, it is no secret. Like there, there are companies that are for-profit institutions and we all know the ones Raytheon, L3, Northrop Grumman, mm-hmm. Boeing that sell products to the United States government. And I, I think sometimes Lockheed it's very, Martin, yeah. right? That's another big name. I, I think it's very easy to make, you know, a YouTube video about how conspiracy theories are woven into that. A better way I think of looking at it is <clears throat> the United States government and specifically the United States military has strategic goals that are not found of that of other nations. And what I mean by that is like, we're the only nation, for example, at least used to be the only nation, for example, that have military bases outside of our borders. The reach of the American empire is further expanding than any other nation today. And because of that- Tenfold. Yeah, you need infrastructure and manpower and money to keep this running. So- the, the U.S. government has far-reaching strategic goals, and if they want to accomplish those goals, because they will at the end of the day, they can either do one of two things. You can either have a 24-7 revolving draft and have a military service model that's akin to that of South Korea or of Israel, where there's mandatory conscription for every young man. The United States kind of has a model of that now where we have the selective service, where like if you want to get the right to vote, you have to register for it. But if we want to accomplish the goals that the U.S. government is trying to accomplish, we just need the manpower for it. Obviously not a very popular political platform to run on. So what happens instead is private industry fills that gap. So to accomplish these goals that the United States already has, private industry steps in and sells products and people and FSRs to then accomplish those goals. Mm-hmm. And because of that, they have to get compensated. So the alternatives in my mind is we either have a military and a service model that's akin to that of South Korea, or we do the military industrial complex thing while accomplishing those goals along the way. I've never looked at it like that. That's how I see it. Yeah. And like, for example, like another like really like aha moment that I had is like all the big holy shit technologies that kind of find our way into our lives. They all started as military technologies. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, the easiest one is the cell phone. The, and I'll, I'll even make it, uh, it specific to my job. We had a crash course on the history of how the internet was created because of the tech school that I went to. Like, for example, I don't mean to super nerd out on you, but there's something called the OSI model. It's a seven-layer model that basically explains how the internet works. My job works the first four layers of that model. That OSI model was developed by the military mm. 70 years ago. Yeah. And it's still so accurate as fast as technology changes, we're still using this model that was built a long, long time ago by engineers trying to make intercontin- intercontinental ballistic missile silos talk to one another remotely. That's where the idea of this really? wide-spanning network came from. So once, it, once the military product is sold to the government, it then trickles its way down into the lives of everybody else. Okay. Similar, cell phones are the exact same way. GPS technology is the, is the exact same way. Radios are the exact same way. The people who need these technologies first are the people that are trying to keep everybody safe, obviously, yeah. whose lives are in danger. Once that goal is then facilitated, it then kind of makes its way into the civilian world. And just by the civilian world being the civilian world, it happens quicker, faster, cheaper, all the good stuff. Yep. And it's uh, that revolving door. That's why we can we can innovate so fast because yep. we have private companies in there. Um, my my uh, 
family that was in the military. He was in the, in the Navy specifically. And how he said it, um, how it works, if it's platoon-wide, if it's um, uh, any type of size of group-wide, mm-hmm. you guys have a budget every year. And if you don't use that budget, this is that, it? yes, this is that military-industrial complex to some extent. If you don't use it, you lose it. And say you have $100,000 and you use ninety nine, you have 99 next year. So it's this use it or lose it model that uh, it, it's capitalism at its finest, and it just keeps on revolving. And it's it's very interesting to uh, see from an outside perspective because I didn't know that at that point. I did not know that, and there's a lot of money woven into it. Um, but that's the reason why we're the best in the world. Sure. Um, and we can we can really do the things that uh, that we can. You know, it's uh it's cool to see. And with you getting into um, send it, you're running uh, capitalism at its finest right. as well, you know? So, um, first off let's, uh, w- with send it just mm-hmm. kind of how this, this got conceived. I, uh, was scrolling through Instagram or whatever. And I saw, um, I didn't even see an ad at that point. I just saw your guys's profile and I just, I, I loved the idea and it just fits so well. I have athletes, LEOs, military, all these different people. And I just loved the idea of it. And I was actually on vacation. I was in Florida and I sent an email and this is what transpired till today, yep. you know, and it's really cool because, um, the connections you can make in all of this is, is, is awesome, man. And we talked about it. Nobody else is doing what you're doing. And so, um, give us, give us the, give us the send it supplements quick and easy. And we honestly, we're just going to dive deep into it. Yep. Well, the, the product was kind of born uh, when I was uh, downrange and I was deployed and I was in the gym one day and coming from a former dipper, unfortunately I've, I've used tobacco uh, for a long time. Uh-huh. Um, <clears throat> I would always put a dip in before I would lift. Um, and I remember being in the gym and everybody was kind of crushing uh, what are called rippets. There are these like giveaway energy drinks that the, the U S government has. Right. And, Everybody was literally like using rippets like crazy and they were trying to quit dip at the same time. So I was like, there has to be some sort of dippable, pro, uh, dippable caffeine, something that mm-hmm. facilitates this goal that kind of combines these two worlds together. And I started Googling around and there wasn't. So I kind of had a light bulb moment. I was like, Oh, this is, this is exactly what I need to do. And ever since then uh, we've been having crazy growth. Um, I found my way on a podcast um, and the, the whole benefit of, of the actual product itself is, uh, the model of the company is shaker cups suck. You don't need to use a shaker cup, uh, uh to consume, send it. Uh, they come in individual, uh, caffeine packed pouches that you literally put in your lip, similar to a dip. And, um, because of what are called mucous membranes, uh, you have them in your nose and your mouth. It's also why, uh, cocaine works as well as it does. Um, you, there's a quicker absorption system in the body that puts the caffeine found in these pouches directly into your bloodstream. So the way that I put it is we're, ha- we're hijacking that delivery system, but instead of using something that's horrible for your body, we're putting caffeine into your body. Yeah. It's, uh, it, it's something that I, I saw and I knew. I knew this, was, this, this is awesome. It's something that I can get behind. Um, I would use, my athletes use, everybody else would use. And uh, it's come out of a good way, you know, something that's inherently negative. Um, with chewing tobacco, right. um, putting a spin on that and marketing it to the people that you know it'll take off, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, how has your how has your growth been, man? Because I I get it, I get this snapshot, right? I see this Instagram thing, and it's something that's a positive of mine and a negative of mine. But when I have an idea or I think a partnership can work, I waste zero time. I'm like. 
I just got to send an email. Let's right. do it. Let's. What's the worst you can say? What's the, what's the worst John can say? And he's going to tell me no because when I first started this podcast, I got to the point where I was like, nobody of huge status is going to approach me and say, "Hey, I want to be on Next Level Radio." And so I started making a list of A-listers. And I started reaching out to your Conor McGregor's, your Aaron Donald's, your just right. crazy people, because what's the worst that can happen? They're not going to read it or they're going to say no. And you're in the exact same spot that you were at the beginning. 100%. And so I'm really glad that I am as uh, uh, fast reacting with it because this has been something that I really appreciate. And I, I look up to you what you've done. So oh, how, how has that growth been? Uh, first off, I don't think that's a bad thing at all. Uh, I, I think there's something really to be said about just putting things out into the universe and seeing what happens. Yeah. This was the exact same idea. Um, but to answer your question, uh, the company was started in 2020. Um, what, what I saw happening at the time was we had all these small businesses being closed down. And, and something that I think still doesn't get enough attention that still kind of upsets me is there were certain multi-billion dollar companies that were deemed as essential businesses, but lots of other businesses that were in many cases ran by immigrants or people who just got to this country that were deemed as non-essential. I, I, something I, before you keep going, we, we almost lost our gym because of it. Yep. We had, we, we opened up three months before the pandemic started. We had three profitable months. We played our employees and then we had two full months of zero. It was like that. Well, luckily yep. enough, we were able to, we were able to do it, but there's a lot of people that weren't as lucky as we were. Right. You know, so, and, and they're just people trying like th the exact same thing we're trying to do, chase the American dream, build something. And they were told literally for the first time ever, no, you can't do that. Mm -hmm. So this was an answer to that. We're like, hey, if small businesses are shutting down and Amazon keeps getting bigger, not that there's anything wrong with that, but we want something to come back. We want to put something out into the noise of this just to move the needle. What I believe is maybe an inch in the right direction. Yeah. So uh, the, the company was created in 2020. Um, we worked for about a year uh, developing a formula and trying to really, the, the harder struggle was building an infrastructure to actually make what you see in front of you now because this didn't exist. Um, th this is pre-workout in, in, in a form factor that I don't haven't found anywhere else. And because of that, none of the logistics or infrastructure or machines to do this existed. We basically had to build it. Yeah. And what that meant is me from a deployed environment on my laptop and with like a, a nipper phone where you heard every other word <laughs> was trying to build a company. And I, I hobbled together something that we have now since outgrown. But quite honestly, our biggest bottleneck right now is just production. For people who spend any time on the site, they always know we're out of product. Yep. And that's a very good problem to have. I'm very thankful we have that problem. It's just, I'm tired of having it. Yeah. So we're trying to fix production and scale and grow to see how far we can push this. And what I think is going to happen when I'm betting on long-term is if we keep on not compromising on our morals and what made this, this product so special in the first place, that once we get those infrastructure pieces in place, that it will keep growing in the direction that we want it to go in. And I'm just going to keep pouring my own personal money into it until it gets to that point. And you're, you're, you're creating a whole new manufacturing means. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you mentioned it, and I didn't even think about it, but there's, there's manufacturing avenues to make a powder in a bottle. Absolutely. But there is not to actually at mass eight per can, right? Or eight. Eight, eight per can and hundreds of thousands of cans. There's not a model for that. Nope. And so I think as you guys grow, 
yes, you guys are the only ones doing it, but you're you're opening up some new manufacturing that is very positive. It's very good, but it's also a growing pain, mm-hmm. you know? And I never thought about that. It's, it's obviously, again, we talked about it. Everybody wants to get into business or everybody wants to be a police officer until they find out that you aren't kicking down doors all the time. You're doing right. paperwork. Until you start doing business things. Yes, yes. And... Uh, so it's, it's, it's been really cool to see the dynamic and see behind the, behind the scenes on what you've done. And starting off, I guess I probably know this answer, but what was that, that hardest growing pain that you had to deal with early on? Honestly, we're still dealing with it. And, and it's just this, this production problem we're trying to fix. Um, and the, the reason why uh, I think it's moving in the direction that it is, is you talked about a negative trait that you had that you're trying to transform into a positive trait. One of mine is stubbornness. If I have my mind set on something, I'm going to do it. And that has worked in my favor and it has not worked in my favor. And I'm really trying to hone that only in the positive direction. But one of the things that came about because of it was I, so all these companies that would make pre-workouts, I would literally call them. I must have had 70 phone calls with hundreds of manufacturers about trying to do this. And I heard the same answer over and over and over again. Great idea, but I don't have any of the equipment, infrastructure, manpower, or training to do any of that. Good luck. So I had hobbled together a production mechanism just out of stubbornness because I believed in this product so much. And I knew if I could just crack the nut of trying to put powder in a pouch, which sounds easy until you start trying to do it. Yeah. What I've learned along the way from, especially being a a very small business owner is you wear a lot of hats. Yeah. Um, I have, I wear the hat of social media manager, uh, president, um, uh, manufacturing specialist, um, marketer. Yeah. And, and the reason why I love this work so much is because you learn so much, so much quicker. And, and more than anything, like the reason I'm doing this is because I'm having so much fun doing it. And, and like, I haven't made a cent off of it yet, but just the act of, of having an idea and building something that is now in front of me, that was the craziest part. It was the same crazy part about what made Afghanistan to me so special is the idea that I wanted to get there and everybody in my life was telling me it was impossible, but I was just so stubborn to where I was going to make it happen regardless. Yeah. This is the same thing to me. I don't, I, I think at the start, every business, you have to wear all these many different hats. Yep. I don't think you're going to have that problem in the near future, man. Honestly, I appreciate it. I, I really, I really do. Um, if I have any pivotal part, I hope that I can just push this out to as many people as I know. Um, but also I really do think that you're going to get to the point where you're going to get to do what you're best at and it's going to help take care of itself. Once all this back work's done, once doing it in your garage or whatever, you know, yeah. like once that is done, I think, I, I think the idea is so genuine and I think the idea is so revolutionary that that will take care of itself. I and I think so you too. see that too. Mm-hmm. You know, I think you really do see that. It's uh, something that I never thought about, but you, we, we talked about you, right off the bat, naturally, almost you're, you're marketing to a very specific individual. And who is that? Oh, military law enforcement. Yep. Military law enforcement, but it has so many different applications that I didn't think about. Yeah, I thought about rodeo. Yeah, I thought about athletes. But uh, you're trying to crack the code into a pretty big industry of gaming. Yep. How are we going to do that? Well, uh, for those that do not know, uh, we have some future products coming out uh, specifically tailored to the gaming market. Uh, We have found that uh, I don't play a lot of video games, but someone who is uh, very strategically involved in the company does. And I I, want to pick his brain early and often about exactly those things. 
because um, that community of people in many cases is not who we're talking about. They're, they're, sometimes they can be military law enforcement, but normally those people aren't. And w- what I think makes this product so special is the marketing is so genuine that it resonates so well with people who come from this background. And what I also want to say too is just because there's a soldier on the face of this product does not mean it is just for soldiers. Yeah. This is for what I would say all hardworking Americans. This is for your cops, your firemen, your electricians, your plumbers, your gym owners, anybody who needs caffeine to accomplish their goals, which last time I checked is everybody. Mm-hmm. And if you cannot run to the bathroom while you're doing that, I think that's advantageous for everybody. But the marketing reflects that and it, it, it markets to a specific audience. I know that when we break into the, 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 the esports gaming world, that we're going to need other vital people in the company that know that world better than I do. My brother is that person. Um, and we need marketing to reflect that and especially a sense of humor that reflects that. And, and we have some, some things in the works that I'm very, very excited about. Stay tuned on Instagram for updates. Mm-hmm. Um, but w- there's a big player in the esports supplement world who we all know the name of, but is my understanding notoriously hated. And some of our big goals is if we can make a product that works well, um, for someone who stands or sits in front of the computer for hours on end uh, to make their need to stay focused and not have to run to the bathroom every you know hour or two because yeah. you're pounding monsters or Red Bulls or whatever, I think is 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 an industry that we have not tapped into. Yeah, and I think it's a bigger industry than most people know because you you th- talk about boomers and they very talk down on this mm-hmm. esports side, even at small Dickinson State, a small college or university here, they have adopted an esports team and I they, believe it, and they have scholarships larger than the football team you know it's 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 crazy because there's a lot of funding yes there's a lot of capital to get it started but once it's started it attracts a very specific person and those specific people are super passionate absolutely about it as you know your brother is it is something that people get behind and never leave no of course and like i was doing some research into this world and i learned a couple of just facts to me that just like blew my mind like the League of Legends finals tournament that mm-hmm. just took place, it had more viewers than the Super Bowl did. That that was nuts. And then that I learned that the prize pool for the number one winner was was a seven-figure number. I learned that like Madison Square Garden was sold out because of people coming to watch others play video games. Yeah. That was not the case 10 years ago, and it's only going to go in a particular direction. From what I found out, uh, Dana White said it a few weeks ago, uh, talking about the Jake Paul fight that got pushed off. It cost $500,000 just to turn the lights on in Madison Square Garden. Yep. So there's revenue there. There's a little bit of money. (laughs) There's a little bit of money there, man. Um, Again, I can't talk uh, well enough about Send It. Uh, It's cool to see this evolution, and I've just implanted myself in this snapshot. Okay. And uh, it's really cool to see the evolution, and I can't wait to see where it goes from there. Um, We talk about uh, Gus Kronberg. He's my uh, videographer. He's also a professional bullfighter. Um, and, uh, he, he has applications there too, man. And it's, it's really cool to see. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see where this takes you and where that product goes, man. I'm excited as well. Yeah. And and just, uh, I, I think this needs to be said too, no matter how big we get, no matter how many people we sell to, um, the parts that made send it so special, in my opinion, are the morals that built it. Mm -hmm. And so long as I'm a part of this company and I plan to be a part of it for a very long time. 
Um, those are not changing. Our patriotism, our morals, our, our pride in, in the work that we do and our pride in country are something that uh, both founders, myself and my father, he is also my business partner, that we feel so strongly about those things because they're interwoven into the men that we are. Mm-hmm. And so long as we're a part of this and that's not changing anytime soon, those will be a part of Senate. Yeah. Something that just popped in my head that I'm sure you've thought about, um, which is probably base level thought for you at your company. But another thing, another crazy big avenue, depending, like you said, B2B um, uh, channels, convenience stores, gas stations. That's something I've kept in my mind for a minute. Dude. So I I wish I could take you to a few. There's a couple, one right up by your hotel. But here in North Dakota, convenience stores are gold. Mm -hmm. If you are a convenience store owner, you are a multimillionaire because this oil field People live on the foods there. So it's not a normal convenience store with your Twix, Gatorade, and Monsters. This is a full luncheon, a full dinner. There's breakfast. There's It's a mall. Mm-hmm. You go a up to store. Williston. Yeah, it's a, it's a small grocery store. You go up to Williston, and these are huge hubs. Make four times the size of my gym. You know, it's, it's, it's a crazy, crazy world that this could easily be put in there, you know, because oil filled application. These people need to be on at all times. And that's something that uh, could easily be implanted there. They're Americans who work hard. hundred percent hard, hard working Americans. Um, we kind of wanted to wrap about it a little bit. Uh, uh, cause I want to see a more inside perspective because I have my jaded uninformed perspective at some mm-hmm. points too, but we're in a very, uh, very sticky, but, uh, Somewhere we've been before, but we're in a very weird geopolitical landscape yep. um, with what we're doing right now in uh, supporting Ukraine, um, NATO backing Russia up to their front door, um, and a few different things. How do you how, how do you see this, this this craziness playing out? What's what's going on? It doesn't put a good taste in my mouth to answer your question specifically. Um, <clears throat> the saddest part in all of it, besides all the human suffering loss that happens from from the innocent people that are getting killed as we speak right now is things that we thought were unthinkable five years ago are reality today. And you keep seeing this theme over and over again, whether it's uh, pandemics or whether it's geopolitical forces, worlds that we thought were not possible are reality now. So uh, a term specifically what we're talking about is Pax Americana. Pax Americana is the idea that post-World War II Countries don't invade other countries in conquest of territorial gain because of the far expansion reach and power of the American military. We have seen that that is not the case anymore. We are now living in a world where near peer threats, not, not third world countries, are now invading other countries seeking territorial gain. Not because someone, not because they got attacked, or not because um, there were other more justifiable reasons, but simply because they had something and I want to take it. And yep. the part that makes me the most sad is that America does not have the influence to stop that from happening even in the first place. Yep. 20 years ago, we did. And that the, the power dynamic has changed so much that now that these, what I would, what the term is near peer threats can act in this way. And it's no secret that Taiwan is also on the chopping, the, the, the chopping block, the chopping block. Thank you. There are normal everyday people there that are are looking at Ukraine and looking at what's happening and wondering if there's an, if they are next. I don't want to get too political, but I think this uh, landscape of us not having the influence and power even has changed in the last two years. If you're catching my drift, absolutely. 
the administration that we have at the helm has changed that. Um, there's, there's some things that with, uh, Trump, he's very polarizing and I get that. Um, and, uh, there's, there's different aspects of that, but he had a, he was a dictator whisperer. Okay. He had relationships with these people yep. and he was able to keep these people at bay very well. And now we have a switching of administration, no matter how you feel about it. We have a switching of administration and a weakening of what we thought was the most powerful thing in the world, uh, the United States government and the United States as a whole. And they, they look at us in possibly a different light. Yep. You don't want to mess with a barking dog, but they look at us in a different light. This didn't happen four years ago, six years ago. This happened now. And it was strategic. Putin had a very strategic mindset as he put that. And um, as much as you can poke a, a, a bear, it, it does wake up. Mm-hmm. And we don't necessarily want that, but it's also part of our culture, as we talked about. So I, I don't know where this goes, but within the last week, we've had an escalation. Yep. And we've had a serious escalation where they've put uh, nuclear uh, power back on the table. And it's something that is a 100% trigger that NATO will get involved, as they say. So I just don't know where it goes. Well, what I think the smoking gun in this is like, one thing that I have learned from like not only traveling the world through the military, but also personal travel, like I, I make it a point to go to places that I've never been to because it gives me so much more perspective about how special this place is. Yeah. Like recently I got back from Taiwan and I, or excuse me, excuse, pardon me, Thailand. Yeah. And I, I've heard nothing but amazing things about I, Thailand. Dude, I heard so many crazy stories. I just yes, had to go to figure it out. Yeah. Like I just heard so many crazy stories from guys who had went in the military and I just had to go for myself to, think if they were even remotely true. And when I got there, the stories did not do them justice. So I, I just wanted to go. But every time that I travel, like I, I find that the reach of the American empire is, is even more than I understood as a person who grew up in America. Mm. Like a funny little story. I spent time in Misawa, Japan. And when I was in Misawa uh, in a mall, I heard Japanese people singing along to the Taylor Swift song, Shake It Off. Uh. And they knew the words better than I did. That doesn't happen here. I, I was standing in Thailand and there was a guy who was wearing a USS Constitution hat. And if you like if you look, if you think about the numbers of it, like China has hats and they have t-shirts, wouldn't it make just more economical sense if they were wearing their hand-me-down t-shirts? They weren't, they were wearing ours. Mm-hmm. You would stand in like a plaza and look up at the Thor movie that, that has been translated into Thai yeah. so that they can consume our media. That is it, it's a sphere of American influence that that truly is more crazy than anything even I thought I understood. But the point that I was trying to make, the smoking gun in all of this is that like the the dictators we're talking about, they're in positions of leadership for not four-year election cycles, but decades at a time. Yes, sir. So when we're talking about these big overarching plans that include invading other countries or the shifting of world powers, they can really make bets on the decade level or the half century level versus us that think in four year election cycles. So if I'm a dictator in this position and I have to choose one moment and one particular time to execute on a plan that I've thought about for 20 years, it's very interesting that it's happening now and not four years ago. Yep. That's Um, the smoking gun. to me. I could not agree anymore. Uh, Russia, China specifically, can play a long game that we're unable to. We have the funding, we have the military, we have all this stuff. And it's something that I don't want to stomach. And I don't think it's right now, but we have to obviously think about it. And 
we every, the the world goes in these cycles and we we i think we aren't we are not there yet but there's always these falls of empires and it's something that we've in our lifetime we've never ever even come close to i don't think we're there i think a tr- we're taking a road that we don't want to go down in some aspects you know and we're taking a road is it, whether it's economically or different gender studies or different stuff like that because you look at the roman empire and some um, other empires as soon as they started questioning genders this is something and whatever if you want to take me off or whatever but as soon as uh, i don't have a perspective in it but as soon as different empires started questioning genders and going down this checklist of stuff they had a revolution and a falling of some sort. And so we have to, we have to tread carefully and see where we're going with this. And again, it is, it is a negative of ours that we can only think in four-year cycles, but also when we're in such a bad position that we can be in right now, we also can change that in four years. Yep. So that's an, also a very positive about it. And so it's, it's this double-edged sword that uh, with China and Russia, they're playing one long game, even though their civilians may not be happy with the, with the path that they're taking, they can take it. Yep. You know, it doesn't matter. They can take whatever path they want um, in any capacity, in any time frame that they want. You know, it's, uh, it's something that uh, I, I think we can, uh, we're, we're still the United States that we've all come to love, but um, Times are changing. Times are weird. Well, what I think is so interesting, and you bring up the Roman Empire, when, and I am by no means a history nerd, I have mm-hmm. honestly learned more about world history through my brother than through anyone. Uh, mm. Shout out to him. Um, is he your older brother, by no, the way? No, he is younger. my younger. He is younger. Uh, and when I say that, what's, what's so incredible about him is we're very, very different, but we're different in the best of ways. Yeah. Whereas like I, I am a, a bit of a history nerd, but it was always American history. I, I'm kind of a patriot, if you can't tell. <laughs> Michael is he he is just worldly in the sense of he enjoys reading for the sake of reading as it applies to the broader human story. So like one of the things that he taught me is like, if you study the Roman empire, um, it's not only interesting that their um, architecture or rather our architecture is modeled after them. The idea of a Republic we garnered from them. Uh, Our founding fathers were obsessed with Rome and, and the span and reach that the Roman Empire had, that the Roman Republic have. We have governors in the same way that the Roman Empire had governors. So there's a lot of parallels. And when the, the fall of the empire started occurring, when there was corruption in government, when the masses were being dulled, uh, like, like for example, I believe in the, Roman, in the Roman calendar, everybody was off four days a week. Everybody would get drunk and go and watch gladiators fight one another. There yeah. are so many holidays to keep the peasants distracted from the, the, the empire that is crumbling before them. Um, so you can draw a lot of parallels in that, but I may be silly for having this perspective, but I've always been called the bullish optimist. And what I like to keep in the back of my head is like, as crazy as it feels right now, and it does feel very crazy, I think the United States has seen crazier times and we have pulled through it best time to be alive yep. everybody thinks that it can be bad or it's worse but we know this that it's probably the best time to be alive and, and what i mean by that is if you just if you read history a little bit through the context of not even history that happened 100 years ago but history that happened 70 years ago during the 60s and 70s you had the civil rights movement you had the vietnam war you had uh lsd and, and the hippie movement spanned through america and you had uh just 
a, a total distrust of the American government and the American system as a whole. And what I like to put myself in the perspective of is the guys that fought in World War II, they fought differently than we view the military today. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is when there were no deployments back then. You like, went until the war was over. You went and you either came home on a ship when the war was done or you came home in a coffin. Like that was, you joined the military and you came home when the war was won. That was the mentality. We don't do that anymore. So those guys were quite literally dragged from their homes because in many cases they were drafted and tossed into Europe. Those guys had to come home and see Amer- and watch America turn into 1960s America. Mm-hmm. I could not imagine how they felt. But around the corner of that was the 80s was a boom in patriotism, was a boom in America leading the world from like a technology perspective. You had the internet and the idea of the microprocessor and a technological revolution that we were leading the world in. You had a, a cultural boom. The best 80, or excuse me, the best movies that I still watch, in my opinion, came out of the 80s and 90s. Yeah. American Hollywood influence was still is nuts in a way that other, that other industries aren't. Like, okay, through traveling the world, you learn of Bollywood. Like, like other nations are literally copying the names of the things that we are doing because of what happened post-World War II. That's how much influence we have. And you're talking about a time where like the president literally got on a helicopter and flew away from everybody yeah. because of craziness that was happening. So I like to keep in the, in the back of my head, like, yes, it feels nuts right now. And yes, the world is changing at a very advanced rapid pace that I don't think we've ever seen before. I just think we're in it right now. And it feels crazier. But if you read history, America has has pulled through tougher storms before. Yeah. And I put faith in the fact that we're going to pull through this one. So you look at it more as a perspective of hard men make easy times, yep. easy times, yeah, that that cyclical cycle. And I, I and I true I I believe that, and I look at that, and this is just a phase that we're going through in a bigger picture scope. You're already seeing it, like like the idea of. The idea of the norms that we have always accepted changing in front of us is making more people uncomfortable. Yeah. Down to the Ukraine situation. Like everybody kind of woke up and go, we're invading other countries now. I thought we don't do this as a world anymore. Europe and Europe especially had to come to terms with that reality in a very real way because they were the ones, it was their homes that were being invaded. Yeah. So the, the, I, I put faith in the fact that the world is waking up. I'm sad that it had to come to this point in the first place, but People have very, very short memories, unfortunately. And that is a human characteristic that regardless of culture or background or nation or origin, almost everybody universally shares. I mean, with the, with the, in the big scheme of things, the short lifespan that a generation has, mm-hmm. um, we look at the far deep uh, history is 50 years ago. And 50 years ago till now, the United States is unrecognizable. Mm-hmm. But it's still a supreme power and it's still as advanced as it'll ever be. And we just keep going down this pathway. You know, well, one of my favorite parts about, about the United States and like specifically from an entrepreneurial standpoint, I, I really saw this specifically from my last Thailand trip. Like there are people that think about improving themselves and building a business and building something in the exact same way that I do, but they're just born in a country in a third world country that does not have any of the economic scaffolding at all to make that happen. So it is because of that reason. Because, okay, I look at the, the history of my family. My grandparents were quite literally war refugees. They were, they were shot out of Germany by, at that time, the USSR and ended up um, in Armenia. And they just had to wait there for their uh, visas to clear. 
And uh, they actually came to a decision where the Canadian visas cleared first, but they were waiting on their American ones and they had to make a decision. They had to make the decision of, do we leave now and go to Canada or do we hang out in the shithole longer and wait for our American visas to come through? And thankfully, they put up with what was not a good living situation longer so that I could be here. And I hear that and it makes me 10 times more motivated. I, I hear, I tell myself that story every time I don't want to work on something. I have to work hard because there are people in the rest of the world that quite literally can't. Whereas I can pour my soul into something and build something versus picking rice in a field 20% better than my neighbor. Yeah, That's what makes America so special. And even with all the craziness, we're the only nation that actually encourages people through not only like the, the culture of America, but actually the tax code to build something yeah. and create an economic scaffolding so that one day you can get bigger and bring other people along with you. That's an American idea. So you, you, you're saying you, you see how America, United States as a whole, capitalizes on the human intuition to build, to create, to, and it allows it. That's why we'll win. So like the example that I always give is mm. the, the Jeff Bezos equivalent in China. He ran Alibaba.com. Yep. Okay. That guy said something that was not flattering about the Chinese government and he disappeared for three months versus Jeff Bezos that can tweet at the president and say, I don't like you. Yeah. And nothing happens. Mm -hmm. The reason why we'll always win is because that guy is not going to work at the level that Jeff Bezos will work at because it's just not worth it. Why do I double the scale of my company if it just means that I'm going to have more eyeballs on me? Yeah. Versus the American government's perspective is, hey, we're going to have this laissez-faire approach with people and let entrepreneurs do the things that we want them to do through the tax code. And like that's, okay, I was just ignorant to this fact because unfortunately it's not taught in schools. I don't know why that's the case. But what I have since learned is that like a lot of people talk about the tax code being fair and not fair. And I think that's the wrong way of looking at it. It was never designed to be fair. What the tax code is, is an incentive-based system to incentivize private money to do the things that government would want to do otherwise. Like, for example, real estate. The reason why real estate has such a, a the best like tax benefits woven into it is because when people with private money are building buildings and, and homes, everybody benefits. And um, I'm going to steal a quote from Alex Ramosi right now. <laughs> he's the man. He's, Absolutely incredible. Yeah. Uh, private money is 10 times more effective at allocating resources than public money. So through just people being people, our country will get better through the human spirit. That is not prevalent in the places that we are talking about. Yeah. And, and, and their model is, hey, we're just going to whip people enough to get them in the direction that we want them to walk in. America doesn't have to do that. Yeah. And in the the determination the motivation in the in the very cellular level of those people that are getting whipped into shape is not buying into something they're creating they're forcefully forcefully getting bought into something that nope. they don't want um i i really I, I resonate with that perspective um because it's not who has the better military who has um, the better technology, who has this, it's at the human spirit and the human experience. It's about what we have woven into us. At the end of the day, this country bets on people and people will win. That, that's what makes America so special. And, mm. if you, and if you go back to the founding of the nation, that is what is interwoven into the idea that all men are created equal. Or the idea rather that like 
the, the truths and liberties that were that were listed in the Constitution, that those were not there because we put them there in some document, but they were given to us by our creator. Yeah. If this country fell apart tomorrow, we're still free men. But the Constitution recognizes the fact that we had that freedom in the first place. That's a revolutionary idea. That's an idea that men believed in so much they picked up their muskets and went to war with the biggest empire in the history of mankind to fight and die over. Yeah. That's why... I would live and, and build my life nowhere else but here. Mm-hmm. Having been all over the world. This that, place is the and best. I think that's why you have that perspective is being able to see all that stuff. I, I mean, I've been to the entire, all over Europe. That's about it outside of the country. I mean, Mexico, Canada. I mean, we're in diet Canada right now in North Dakota. So. That's a good way of putting it. <laughs> yes, but uh, I think that's why you have that perspective. And I think it's very healthy. Um, and I think it bleeds into send it. It bleeds into a lot of things. Um, just the morals behind the company and what you guys do and what you guys hold true to is woven all the way through the human biology and the human experience, you know, um, being able to build something without restriction, yep. you know, and instead of looking at the tax code as a burden is it's something you do because we need to do it. You better learn it. Yep. Or the IRS is coming knocking right. because they got 83,000 more employees yeah. this year, baby. Oh man. I don't know how that's going to go, but, uh, so wrapping up, what, and you can answer this in twofold, or you can answer it uh, as an individual question. What do you want if it's the legacy of John, or if it's the legacy of Send It? What's that legacy that you want to leave people with? Hmm. That's a very good question. Um, I would say... I think it's deeper. Uh, you yep, know, I think it's deep. I w- if there's anything that I've learned, it's that you should do the things that you want to do regardless of what others are saying. And, and I'm going to point to a hero of mine, Arnold Schwarzenegger is one of, the, one of these men, and just to hear his story and, and some of the things that he has done in life, it, it inspires me. That guy heard no over and over again about moving to America and becoming a champion and then becoming a movie star in a language he didn't even speak and then becoming ultimately a governor of, of, of a state that he was not born in. Yeah. That's about as American as it gets. And part of being American, in my opinion, is believing in the things that you believe in so passionately and so feverishly that it doesn't matter how many other people are saying are telling you that that's stupid or to not do them, and you're just going to do them anyway. That's what this is. I hope it gets so big that it it, it transcends my life in the best way possible, and I just hope that at the end of it, that this stubborn quality of mine that has caused a little bit of hardship in my life. I learned how to figure out and, and push in a direction of productivity to where I just did the things that I wanted to do uncomp- uncompromisingly and that I just did them regardless of what others were telling me to do. Yeah. I think that's built into what you're doing, man. And uh, it, uh, it rings true in uh, your marketing. It rings true in the product. It rings true in who you are. Um, and so I'm, I'm very lucky and blessed to be able to do this. And again, in, in different ways too, I look up to you what you've done. And I think other people can look up to that. You're looking at trying to be the most, the most American process possible. You, uh, your parents, uh, your grandparents, first, immigra- uh, first generation immigrants in here, you're trying to build something from the ground up that can revolutionize your life, but also revolutionize and caffeinate the lives of so many different people yep. and build not, and this is on the side, 
build the innovation that America is built on through 300 milligrams of patriotically packed caffeine. Damn straight. You know what I'm saying? So, man, I, uh, we just hit just under two hours. Did I, we really? Yes, sir. <laughs> wow. Yes, it, it's like this. It's I gone. Does not feel like two hours. Yes, sir. So I, uh, I can't, uh, I can't say how much I appreciate you and flying out here, here and having man. this. It's, it's been awesome. Um, where can, uh, where can people reach you, my man? www.senditsubs.com. Simple, easy, yep. right there. So uh, you guys uh, <clears throat> get a hold of some uh, of this product. Hope you guys enjoy it. And that is another episode of Next Level Radio. Have a good one, brother. Thanks, Kobe.